0: his first encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus Paul's life was transformed from the most feared and hated enemy of Christ into the most ardent and faithful proclaimer of the gospel when Paul accepted the call of Jesus he was all in every moment of his life was devoted to making sure his world heard the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead to bring God's forgiveness and eternal life to man. No one worked harder to persuade the Jews that Jesus was their Messiah and the Gentiles that He was the one and only God and Savior. By foot, Paul probably traveled more than 10,000 miles. That's like crossing the United States four times. There has never been a greater champion of the church's mission than Paul. A man who had been transformed by God's grace. What we see in his life and legacy is a great example for every Christian of what the grace of God should mean to our life and our future for Jesus and His kingdom. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the last chapter of the book of Acts. As we conclude our sermon series on the transforming grace of God. Transforming grace. Acts 28, and would you pray with me as we begin our study. Father, thank you so much that as we conclude our study, we're not concluding our study and proclamation of your amazing grace. Lord, as long as we study the scriptures, we're going to study your grace. We're going to see it. As long as we live as believers, we are going to experience your grace. Father, I just want to thank you that, through, that in Paul's life and ministry, we have an example to follow. God, in fact, I know that you set examples for each one of us. There are people who have gone before us in our families and among our friends who have lived for Jesus, who have let their testimony be seen. And God, those are people we can follow their example. And I just want to thank You for the people You've placed in our lives. And Lord, thank You for the Apostle Paul because there's no one who's ever shown the power of Your transforming grace like Paul. Thank You that we can study Your Word and I pray as we do the Holy Spirit will just move in our hearts and minds that today, Lord, You might remove our distractions and help us focus on You and just ask ourselves... The question, what will we leave behind that will help others know Jesus? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, when following Paul through the book of Acts, we are grateful for the detail which Luke has given us. Luke traveled with Paul for many miles. Anytime we see the use of the pronoun we or us in the book of Acts, Well, we know Luke was with Paul, giving us the details of the difficult journeys they had together to share the good news of Jesus. We have studied some of those journeys over the last months. And yet, in Paul's own writings, there was far more trouble than what we have seen in the book of Acts. In fact, to the Corinthians, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul remembered... From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. That means in the ocean. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. What's the one word that stands out? Perils. "...in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, that is my deep concern for all the churches." Paul's love for Jesus and his deep concern for the churches is what kept him enduring the trials and persecution of which he was talking. That's what his, in, his love for Jesus and his love for people and his desire that people in his world be saved kept him going no matter what he faced. Kept him going through all the perils. In his last journey to Rome, we see one of these trials of which he was speaking, one of the three shipwrecks we see. And look at chapter 30, uh, 27 for just a moment, verse 39. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, talking about the crew of the ship, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. They had been in a storm. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the bow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers, the Roman soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Can you imagine that frightening scene? The ship run aground, the bow stuck hard, the stern breaking up in the wild seas experienced sailors, Roman soldiers, prisoners. Their predicament had equalized their position. They were all on the verge of being drowned in the violent sea. It was terrifying. But standing strong was one man whose faith set him apart from the rest. An innocent man, a righteous man, a man who was not clinging to parts of a broken ship, but a man who was clinging to Jesus. It didn't matter how violent the waves, nor how strong the wind. The same Savior who can calm a storm with His mighty voice would deliver His servant Paul from every enemy. No power on earth could prevent Paul from arriving safely in Rome. For that was God's promise to him and purpose for him, to preach the gospel in the Gentile capital of the world. So, as the ship broke up, all on board either swam for shore or grabbed hold of a floating piece of wood in hopes of surviving. And the amazing result, Luke recorded, so it was that they all escaped safely to land. How many of you believe, listen, listen with me, How many of you believe, really, that God has the power to bring you through the darkest of nights and most dangerous storms of your life? If you believe it, say amen. Now, how many of you believe, how many of you believe because he's already done it for you? Say amen. Amen. That's how I know. How do I know God will get me through storms? How do I know he will carry me through storms? Because he's already done it. My Savior has never abandoned me. He has always stood with me. And when I was too weak to carry myself through, he picked me up like those footprints in the sand. And he carried me to that place where his kingdom purpose had prepared. I believe, I believe if Jesus can do that for me, he can do it for you. I love the words of Isaiah 43. Would you read this one with me? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What a beautiful promise. Paul made it through the shipwreck and all the dangers he faced because God had a kingdom purpose for his life, just as he does for you and for all of his children. No power can stop the sovereign king of the universe from accomplishing his purpose. And that was the lesson all these people with Paul learned on that dreadful voyage. Chapter 28. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now, cold and drenched by the rain. remember it had been dark for days, and raining and storming. see, cold, and remember, it was winter, cold and drenched. You ever been shivering cold in the rain and cold, rain, sleet, whatever? That's what they were experiencing. Cold and drenched. Besides that, they dove into the water, in the ocean to swim to shore. Cold and drenched. <laughs> it, it, these people came shivering, crawling up on the shore, and the natives of the island reached out to the survivors and showed them kindness, showed them grace, and helped them get dry by a fire. Malta. Off the coast of Sicily is actually a chain of islands in the Mediterranean Sea. Malta had been settled by the Phoenicians in the 6th century B.C. and had been taken by the Romans in 218 B.C. Emperor Augustine had made it a place for military veterans to retire. But those who met Paul, they were original islanders. Now while these Maltese could have been hostile to these strangers... God turned their hostility into hospitality. And they took care of these men had, who had just come through this terrible peril. Now, have you ever noticed how God sends someone at just the right time to comfort us in our time of need? It's happened to me many, many times. I've thought sometimes about the people God has put in my life who have been so special to me. One of the things I did, I know people... I know some, uh, you know some people in my family might think it's a little silly, but I've made these videos through the years of, of people in my family that I loved and knew, my grandparents, things like that, mom and dad and my, and my children growing up. And, the other, and at Thanksgiving, which was very special for me with, all my, with my wife and children coming in, anyway, I pulled out one I just started to look at it. And I started to look at the people that are no longer with me. But some of those people were instrumental. They were the people who God put in my life to help me grow as a Christian. First to accept Jesus, but then to grow as a Christian. Can you think about people in your life? Holidays are times to remember people. Can you think about how God, at times in your life, has brought someone to come alongside you? Someone to help you? I like what the... Hebrew writer said, read this scripture with me. He said, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. See, because of His great love for His children, the Lord is within us through His Holy Spirit. He's within us. Then He sends His angels to surround us and watch over us. And at just the right moment, He brings other people alongside us. To help us through the perils of life. That's what God did for Paul and his company. When they came to that strange shore, he brought a tribe of islanders to help them. Look at verses 3 and 4. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire they had made, a viper came out. Viper, poisonous snake. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man's a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. What the sea could not do, a serpent tried to do. Coming out of the fire and biting Paul's hand, latching on, hanging on to make certain all its venom was pumped into Paul's body. Folks, that's just how our enemy, the devil, works. When God sent a means of salvation, Satan sent a poisonous serpent. That's the way it's always been. God sent His only begotten Son into the world to save men. And Satan slithered his way into the hearts of evil men. And they called for His crucifixion. So he tried to kill Jesus on a Roman cross. He thought he had, but Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down freely of myself. Jesus, even on the cross, overcame the serpent for our salvation. And so did the apostle Paul, the servant of Jesus. Verses 5 and 6. But Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that there would swell up or suddenly fall that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead but after they looked for a long time at Paul and saw no harm come to him they changed their minds and said he was a god not only did god deliver paul from the violence of the sea he delivered paul from the venom of the serpent so that the gospel could come to the island of malta accompanied by miraculous power friends whenever god does a miracle of epic proportions. It is always for the purpose of building faith in his kingdom. That's why God used the first disciples to heal the sick and even raise the dead so that the power of the risen Christ could be displayed while his gospel was being declared. That's why Paul could shake off the poison of the serpent and then perform a powerful miracle of life because Paul knew that the most important thing to the heart of God was the salvation of lost souls. And Paul was willing for God to use him in any way so that the world could hear the message of life through Jesus and see His grace displayed. Verses 7 through 9. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came, and they were healed. Publius, it's a Latin name, Publius, was a local, the local leader in Malta. Kind of like the mayor or the chief of the tribe. Now, let's remember that Malta had been taken by the Romans. And Rome had declared Malta a free town with its own local government. So obviously Publius was the local leader. We might call him the, uh, we could say he's the mayor. We could call him the chief of Malta. Publius invited Paul and his companions and possibly the whole group of survivors to stay at his large estate. In Malta, there was a sickness. It was called Malta fever. Malta fever, it caused a fever accompanied with dysentery. So it was a gastric disorder. Made people very sick. And in the 19th century, it was found out that this particular disease was caused by a certain microbe in the goat's milk that people drank and had for centuries. At the estate, the father of Publius had contracted this disease. He was very sick. So Paul... Went into the man's room. He laid his hands on him and he prayed, and the father of Publius was healed. Well, this was a notable person. And the news spread quickly, and people all over the island came to Paul for healing. They brought people who were sick. Reminds us of what we saw in the ministry of Jesus how the news went out and spread, and people brought, and people brought the sick to Jesus, so he could touch them and heal them. And that's exactly what happened with Paul. The Bible says, Luke said, that the rest of those on the island who had diseases came to Paul and they were healed. Folks, listen, the power of God is not short. It will never run out. It's good enough to take care of my needs and your needs and the needs of the whole world. The power of God, the grace of God, is powerful enough to save the world. It's power enough to heal, powerful enough to heal the world. But for us to see God work in our lives in miraculous ways, it requires faith. Now, faith doesn't require great faith, because Jesus said, if you have faith just as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be removed, it would be removed, a whole mountain. It doesn't require great faith, it just requires faith sincere, true, genuine faith in a great God. And that's what these people had. They came and Paul, he, Paul laid his hands on them. They were healed of their diseases. Did Paul do it? What do you think? Did Paul heal them? What, anybody? Tell, what do you think? Did Paul do it? Who did it? God did it. And whose faith did he use? He used Paul's faith. He used Paul's faith and he used the faith of those who would come because God worked through this one man's faith so that he could instill faith in all the others. Don't you, don't you imagine when they were, had come and they were desperate and, and Paul laid his hands on them and prayed for them. And as he prayed to God, they were healed. Paul was giving glory to God. Paul was lifting up the name of his Savior Jesus. Jesus. And so these people, not only did they receive the healing touch of Jesus, they received the saving power of Jesus. And so once more, Paul's faith in Jesus Christ was seen by the people he encountered. And his faith and powerful move of God in his life opened the door for the gospel in the hearts of these people. Now, while the New Testament does not record anything further about Paul's ministry on Malta. History does. And history records that the people of Malta received Christ, Jesus. And in fact, it became one of the earliest Roman colonies to convert to Christianity. But let me tell you something else interesting. Publius, the chief of, the, of Malta. Publius received Jesus as his Savior. And history tells us, That he became the first pastor or bishop of Malta. And that he served in that position for 30 years. And then he was moved to Athens. The grace of God operating in Paul's life transformed a whole nation. Folks, in America, how many of you know we're in a big mess? Do you think God's grace could transform our nation? What do you think? Are we too far gone that God can't reach us? Are we too far away from Him? Folks, I want to tell you something. I still believe in the power of a living Christ who can transform lives. I believe that we can't get too far from God that He can't get reach us if we will just turn back and reach out in faith. Our faith don't have to reach very far, but His arm will reach us. And I believe God could still transform Our nation today. Do you believe that? Amen? Boy, I wish you would, don't you? I really do. So, that's what the grace of God can do. And that's our grace principle today. Would you read that grace principle with me? The grace of God transforms our life and legacy. Now, let's see what this means. Let's see how God used Paul throughout his ministry. First of all, the grace of God can transform a life. When Paul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, his life was transformed. When the crew and passengers of that ship saw the grace of God in Paul, they delivered him from the power of the storm. I'm sure their lives were transformed. In fact, they wanted to stay with Paul. How could they ever forget this mighty rescue? When the islanders saw the grace of god that delivered paul from the serpent's poison their lives were transformed when publius and his people experienced the grace of god that could heal their diseases their lives were transformed they were saved for eternity the miraculous power of god displayed to the prayers and faith of a man who had himself been transformed opened hearts to the transforming power of the gospel. Paul said, verse 10, They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary, Luke records. Faith in Christ not only changes our lives, but it changes our love. When Jesus comes into our hearts, we have a new love for God and for others. Our love for God gives us a desire to please Him to follow his word and live righteously before him. Jesus showed us this in John 14. He said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. If we love Jesus, we will want to follow Jesus. His word will be important to us, and we will live it before others so that they can see the truth of it and the difference it makes in our lives. Then John said, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? He who practices righteousness is righteous. He who is righteous practices righteousnesses. Righteousness. So just as Jesus is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. When we love Jesus the way we should, we will want others to know Jesus. We want to honor Jesus in what we say and do and help others experience His love and grace. Why do I want to come to church? Why do I want to get up on Sunday morning and take a shower and put on a suit and come and stand and preach? Why do I want to do that? Because I love Jesus. Do I love you? Yes. But why do I love you? Because I love Jesus. You see, it all comes down to the love of Jesus. Friends, listen. You can't love others unless you have the love of Jesus in your heart. Oh, we can love others with a kind of a fleshly love. Like, you know, I can love somebody. I can fall in love with somebody. I can love people with a fleshly heart. But if I have true love for you, it's because I have Jesus in my heart. That's That's why Paul said, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Because if you have the love of Jesus in you... An unbeliever does not. And you got two incompatible kind of loves. So we love because the love of Jesus is in us. And if we really love Jesus, then we will love His children. We will love others in His body because we become the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. If we love Jesus, we will love others with His love, and we will practice His love by doing good to others, not evil. That's what Paul did. He risked everything for the opportunity to help others know His Savior. He endured great suffering, great hardship, great sacrifice for Jesus. Paul said, Philippians 3, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet, Yea, indeed, I also count all things lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Everything Paul endured was for Jesus' sake. Paul could not bear the thought that his Savior, who suffered so horribly on the cross, who shed His precious blood to cleanse His sin and the sin of the world, would be ignored or forgotten. Paul gave up everything to leave a lasting testimony, a Christian legacy for the world. And He did. And that's the second part of our grace principle. The grace of God can transform a legacy. Now, when we have Jesus in our hearts, we begin to realize that our life on this earth is not all there is. We realize that our life is part of a bigger picture, a bigger plan, God's kingdom plan. That there's something greater, that God wants to use us today to help someone even in the future. God wants to use us today to reach people, to leave an influence on people for generations to come. Let me ask you a question. What are you leaving behind that will make any difference for the kingdom of Christ? What are you leaving behind that will make any difference for the kingdom of Christ? When you leave this life, what part of you is going to be remembered? Friends, let me tell you what I believe. How How we leave this life is surely as important as how we live this life. It was for Paul. Everywhere Paul went, he preached Jesus. When he preached Jesus, he preached for transformation. He preached so that a lost soul would repent and be gloriously saved. Everywhere Paul went, he led souls to Jesus. He left a, and when he led souls to Jesus, he left a passion with those new believers to carry the good news of Jesus to the world, no matter the cost, friends, if we leave what God has intended for us to leave, then the people who follow us will, see our, will have seen our passion, will develop that passion, and will help others come to know our Savior. If we have left what God intended with this life. And so Paul, Paul felt this way. He saw that his legacy was important. And so, even when he could have easily escaped, now think about it for a minute. Through all of this stuff going on, could Paul have escaped? Absolutely. He said, I'm really innocent. So he could have escaped. But instead of that, he went on to Rome. And by the way, uh, in Rome, he would meet his death. History would record that. Look at verses 11 through 15. And three months, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. And from there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren, and we were, and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Appii Forum and Three Inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God... And he took courage. The shipwrecked survivors were probably on Malta from November until February or early March when the weather was favorable again and the seas were calm again. And then they set sail on an Alexandrian ship. Remember those ships were going from Egypt to Rome. And they set sail on an Alexandrian ship, traveled north 60 miles to Syracuse, which was on the southeast coast of Sicily, a city known for its fishing, shipbuilding, and bronze work. And then from there, they sailed another 70 miles to Regium. And then with a good wind, they made the 175-mile journey to Puteoli in two days. Puteoli, located on the Bay of Naples, was Rome's main port of entry from the east. And as Josephus recorded, it had a Jewish colony already established there. Upon arrival, Luke and Paul and the other Christians found a group of other Christians and after permission from the Roman centurion in charge, Paul was granted permission to lodge with those believers for seven days. To get to Rome, Paul and his group traveled 20 more miles up the Via Campana where it intersected with the Via Appia or Appian Way. And the total trip was 130 miles, probably took five days to make that journey by foot. As the road moved in and out of the coastline and across the hill country and through the marshes. Forty miles from Rome was the Forum of Appia, which was a huge marketplace. And ten miles further was the three taverns. And at each of these stops, Christians from Rome came out to meet Paul and his company. And accompany him to Rome. So what an ironic procession as Paul made his way up the Appian Way. Paul, the imperial prisoner entered Rome with a procession fit for an emperor. And at the time Paul entered Rome, there were about, probably about forty to 50,000 Jews and a dozen synagogues already there. After three days, Paul asked to address the leaders of the Jews. And they, coming to Paul, heard Paul's account of how he came to be in Rome. Once more, Paul shared his faith in Messiah Jesus with his own people, the nation of Israel, which he loved so dearly. Look at verse 16. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And by the way, let me just say something about that verse. Does anybody remember reading in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, about putting on the armor of God? You remember that? Paul was living with a Roman guard, a Roman soldier, was his own private soldier. And every day, Paul looked and saw this Roman soldier decked in his Roman, you know, Roman armor. And that's, I believe, where Paul, why, Paul, what Paul wrote about in Ephesians six, that just as that Roman soldier wore that armor, so we, as God's people, must wear the armor of God. God, verse seventeen. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, Jews. Because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And then they said to him, We neither we receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brothers who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we do desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect. You know, the people of the way, Christianity. We know that it is spoken against Everywhere. With the Jews intently listening to Paul. Paul presented four truths about his journey to Rome as a prisoner. And here's what he said. Paul's declaration of innocence. Number one, I am innocent before the Jews. I've done nothing against my people nor against the law. Number two, I am innocent before the Romans. I've broken no Roman law. Number three, the Romans brought me here because I appealed to Caesar. Number four, the Jews wanted to kill me because I believe Christ is the hope of Israel. The Jews responded that they had received no word at all about Paul's dilemma. They had received no evil report of Paul, but they had heard of this Christian faith that had been spoken against everywhere. Isn't that interesting? Paul, once he was a Jew and a great Pharisee, an enemy of, of the Christian faith, he had been saved by God's grace, and God had transformed his life into the greatest of Christianity. Yet, when he came to Rome, he was unknown. The Jews in Jerusalem and Caesarea and other places they knew all about him. They wanted to kill him, but in Rome, these Jews had not heard anything about him. But the gospel was known. You know, even though the Jews did not associate Paul with Christianity here in Rome, I believe they heard about Christianity because of Paul. That was his legacy. The gospel spread around the world because the first disciples carried it, and no one did more to encourage it spread than the man who stood before them, Paul the apostle. Unlike in Jerusalem, the Jews in Rome wanted to hear more about Christianity. Look at verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day... Many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should save them, heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Remember a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. Let it be known to you Jews, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when Paul had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Paul's first message was to the Jewish leaders. But then on that appointed day, many Jews in Rome gathered to hear this rabbi from Jerusalem. And what Paul shared with them was the gospel in the Old Testament. God's message of redemption through Jesus the Messiah is found throughout the Old Testament. Luke said, Paul both shared Paul shared both from the law and the prophets that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews, the Savior of the world. The Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, From your brothers, him you shall hear. David said in Psalm 22, The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. Looking down from the cross. David said, long before Jesus was born. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus in the Old Testament. Isaiah the prophet said... Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we were healed. The Gospel in the Old Testament. Paul did not preach his opinion. He simply shared the Scriptures and allowed the Holy Spirit to convict the hearts of those who would hear. And some did. Luke said, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Dear Christian, that's the way it will be, always be, until Jesus comes. Some will believe our message, and some will not believe. Some will receive Jesus, and some will reject Jesus. Paul preached the truth to these Jews from morning till evening, and still some did not believe. They were curious. They heard the truth with their ears, but they would not believe in their hearts. Friends, in this world, we are called to stand out as lights for Jesus and sound the gospel call as witnesses of Jesus. Many will not believe. They may misunderstand us. They may ridicule us. They may hate us. They may even persecute us. But that must not stop us, especially when we realize that some will believe. Some will hear our message. The Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and they will believe. And then they will carry on this legacy of faith in Jesus for generations to come. That's why we cannot, be, that's why we cannot give up. Because some will believe. And we don't know who those some will be. We don't know when that will be. But like Paul, we must tell what we know. that The Christ Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead will save anyone who calls upon Him by faith. Friends, I know He will save people because He saved me. What He did for me, He can do for you. That's my message. All I have is the testimony that Jesus transformed my life through His Word. But that's enough. That's enough. The testimony of what Jesus has done in my life could be the very tool that God would use to save a lost soul, even a lost world. That's why you and I must, like Paul, allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives and our legacies. And like Paul, the more of ourselves we give to Jesus, the more he can use for his kingdom purposes. Think about Paul, a prisoner of Rome, spending all day from morning till evening, talking about Jesus, about the kingdom of our Savior. And still they would not believe. So Paul, broken hearted, by the rejection of his own Jewish family. Spent the rest of his life sharing the gospel with the Romans and Gentiles and anyone who would come to visit him. Verses 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. And what did he do? Read it with me. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Though he was a prisoner, God, through his grace, made it possible for Paul to live in his own rented house in Rome, a Roman soldier there to guard him but also protect him, with all the visitors he could receive. And for two years, as he waited for an audience with the emperor, Paul did the same thing, that he had done throughout his life. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God and taught all who would hear how to live to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. He made every moment count for Jesus in his life and for the life to come. The grace of God had transformed Paul, transformed his life and his legacy. I read a story. I might have shared it before. It's about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is a hero of faith because as a preacher. He preached a message sinners in the hands of an angry God that God used to spark the great awakening in America. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. He was one of the most respected preachers in his day. He attended Yale at the age of 13, and later he went on to become the president of Princeton College. He married his wife, Sarah, in 1727, And they were blessed with 11 children. Every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child. Jonathan and his wife Sarah passed on a great godly legacy to their 11 children. An American educator, A.E. Winship, decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. His findings are remarkable, especially when they compare to another man of that same period, a man named Max Jukes. Now, Jonathan Edwards' legacy includes one United States Vice President, one Dean of a Law School, one Dean of a Medical School, Three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates in 150 years. How could this be explained? Jonathan Edwards was a godly man, but he was also a hardworking, intelligent, and moral man. And for, furthermore, Winship stated much of the capacity and talent, intensity, and character of the more than 1,400 of Edwards' family is due to Mrs. Edwards. Jonathan Edwards and Sarah, his wife, left a legacy. It went on for generations. Now, Max Jukes, who lived at the same time, he came, his legacy came to people's attention when the family trees of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to him. He lived in New York at about the same period as Jonathan Edwards. The Jukes family originally was studied by sociologist Richard L. Dugdale in 1877. Juke's descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 of them died prematurely. Folks, listen to me. We have a choice to make how to live and what to leave. That's our choice. We can leave behind a legacy of faith or a one of moral failure. We can live to the point, we can live to point people to Jesus Christ and leave a legacy that still points people to Jesus Christ. Or else we can live for now for ourselves and die empty handed with nothing, nothing. To count for God's kingdom in eternity. Paul lived and ministered for less than half a century. But his influence has lasted for nearly 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian here today... If you're a Christian watching or listening, listen. You are Paul's legacy of a faithful Christian. His legacy. Because he took the gospel. Someone else took the gospel... And someone else took the gospel. And today you and I know the gospel. He wrote the gospel. He gave us most of the New Testament. His legacy. You're his legacy of a faithful Christian who was touched by God's transforming grace. Let's bow. Now let's just measure ourselves up against Paul for a moment. God would want us to do that. I know the measure is Jesus. Paul measured his life by Jesus, and Paul was put in our lives in this book to give us an example to follow. So let's measure today. Everyone who met Paul knew he loved and served Jesus. When people meet you, when they get to know you, who do people think you serve? Has the grace of God so transformed your life that people around you know that you follow Jesus? When you're gone, what will happen to you? Within a few decades, will you be forgotten? Will you just be a name on a tombstone? Or will your legacy of faith live on in the people you touched with the gospel? When you get to heaven, is there going to be anyone who says to you, you made an eternal difference in my life? If not, you have wasted a lot of time, a lot of life. And today, this message, God used this message to help you know it's time for you to get busy with what you have left. Maybe today you need to be transformed by His mighty power, by His grace. Maybe you need to receive Jesus into your heart and start living for Jesus. Well, Jesus gave everything He had for you because He loves you. You were not even born, but He knew who you would be. He knew you would hear this message today. And He's pleading with you. He says, I died for you on the cross. I shed my blood. I suffered horribly for you so that you could be forgiven. Somebody had to die for you. I died in your place. Would you receive me? He's asking you. Will you open your heart to Jesus and receive him? Would you pray? Would you pray with all your heart and say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I've left you out of my life. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for ignoring you. Forgive me for all my sins. Take them all away, Jesus. Come into my heart and be my Savior. I confess today, you're my Savior. You you died for me. You rose from the dead. And I ask you to come into my heart and take over Jesus. Just take over my life and my future. Today, I confess, I'm following Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest prayer you could ever pray. Maybe if you did it here in this place for the first time when we're singing, I'll stand at the front. Come down, and just share with me. The cameras will be off, and you can say, Pastor Donnie, I prayed and accepted Jesus as my Savior, just like all these people around you did at some point in their life. If you're watching us online, reach out to us. Message us, and we can get back with you, in touch with you. Father, I pray. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your amazing grace. That has saved us, given us new life and a new legacy. Help us, Lord. Leave behind a legacy of faith. that will go on for generations to help others come to know the Savior who gave everything for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Quentin. Would you stand and sing with us?